Well, first thing I would like to say is you absolutely can DIY your SEO, especially in the beginning phases of your business. Don't let anyone tell you that either. I'm here to break all <laughs> these internet stereotypes. You absolutely can DIY SEO. The reason why I think businesses try to say that you cannot is there are so many intricacies with SEO. You're listening to the Copywriter On Call podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gillis, copywriter, word magic maker, and owner of What Sarah Said. On this podcast, you'll feel empowered to show up online in a way that has you saying, that's so me. Let's get started. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Copywriter On Call podcast. I am your host, Sarah Gillis, and I am clocking some on-call hours today with a like-minded industry friend and fellow podcaster. Erin is an SEO copywriter for websites, a copy coach, and the host of the Talk Copy To Me podcast. Welcome, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am thrilled to have you. So I would love to just get started with a quick little introduction. Tell us who you are, what you do, and why you love what you do. Absolutely. I am Erin Alilla. As you mentioned, I'm a copywriter and SEO strategist. I love everything that has to do with story and marketing, pretty much. I started my career actually coming out of the creative writing world. I have my MFA in creative nonfiction. All of my undergraduates degrees were also in writing things. So I thought mm -hmm. for sure I was coming to this world, going to be a professor with lots of books under my name. And while I do have a few books, I quickly realized that professors one, take forever to get tenured. And that means pretty much that you're going to be working at that college long term. Yeah. And then pretty much until you get that tenured job, you're making a crap salary. Excuse my language. <laughs> you're making nothing. And I was just like, I have to pay for my MFA. I need to make some money. And I was at the time working in human resources in the mental health field. I've been doing that for a while. And I just said, well, what is next? It was the time of personal blogging, when you would literally just write about your day and what you thought. And I thought, well, I'd really love to do some blog writing. And my first true paid writing job in the marketing world was for a company that wrote blog content, SEO blog content, actually, for medium to bigger brands so that they could attract people to their website, maybe sign up for their product and things like that. And I was just thrown into the well. Deep end of, you're going to learn this SEO. You're going to learn how to figure out how to, this is the wrong word here, but manipulate the words so that, with a story, so that you can capture people's interest and really make them make a decision about whether or not they want to work with this business or this brand. And I loved it. I think it's my history with the psychology world that I came from and the writing world that I came from. It was able to put those two together to think, well, what are people thinking? Why do they need this? And why would this interest them? And what would make them make a decision? And then I could gamify all of that with <laughs> SEO. And it was it worked really well for my brain, just being able to kind of like continuously be in a challenge with my own self. How can I do this so that way Google is very impressed with me? And then my client is then very impressed with me. And I was just I was really so fortunate that's where it all started. And then to get to now, I ended up working with some really humongous billion-dollar brands for a long time until I started my own business and I realized, oh, these poor little guys like me, we have no clue what the heck we're doing. We're all scrambling to try to just figure this out. And I just really worked hard to wanting to work with people who are in smaller businesses like myself, creative businesses. And that's the whole whopping story right there. You got more than I think you expected. I love it. I didn't know that 
your background was in creative writing. Yeah. My senior thesis as an undergrad was in creative nonfiction. So oh, like, so fun. I'm so nerding out right now. Yeah. I also thought that I was going to be a professor and yeah. write books and just live that life. That was my dream. That was my goal. And I think yeah. in another life that would have happened. Sure. Apart from the crap pay you were talking <laughs> about, but also the lack of flexibility when it comes to being a mama. Yes. When I had my kids, my oldest is 11. When I had my kids, I was like, wait a minute, I have to miss my own kids first day of school. I have to miss yeah. my own kids milestones to be there for my students. And I think it's important. But at the same time, it's like, dang, I'm missing yeah. out. I'm missing well, out on things. Same for me, my oldest child is my stepchild. And when that was right when I got my MFA and which is a terminal degree, which allows you to pretty much teach as a PhD would. And but the problem is not every college has creative writing programs. So it's like, right. do do I want to move across the country after I just started this relationship with raising a child and be like, oh, it was really nice to know you for a couple of years. <laughs> See ya. Oh. We'll just be a long distance relationship as well. And I just for me, a lot of that was it just didn't seem as thrilling anymore. Yeah. I think the idea, I think when you're a writer, it's like meaning writing books and things like that. You have this, it's a solo experience, right? Yeah. And when you open your world, I think, up to more humans other than mm -hmm. yourself, there's a lot of reckoning and adjustments that have to be made. Also, blog content is a lot shorter than a book. And there you as go. someone with ADHD, it was like, I, I don't know, maybe I could give myself more often gold stars, which I needed, right? That's just something about me personally. I like completing things. Mm -hmm. And I like that satisfaction of looking back on what I've researched and ruminated about and to see results from it. So writing a book can take years worth of time. And if anything, there's less gold stars because it's like over and over again, you're just told, well, this needs work. You need to change this. You need to scrap that. This isn't working. This isn't good. And I think you get less of that in the marketing world. So yeah. we just psychoanalyzed me, everyone. And I think <laughs> I figured it all out. I think I fit in some of those buckets for sure. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about that solo act of writing because what I love so much is the fact that I can be in a creative space on my own and yeah. really live in and exist in that space. But I also get to serve really cool people yeah. and surround myself with industry friends that really help to make all of it worth it. That yes. was something I was really nervous about when I left education is because you have those built-in friendships, right? Yeah. I was a teacher for almost a decade and those people who taught next door, you could run and celebrate a win and run and cry quick too. And I missed out on that in my very first few months of entrepreneurship. But I'm so glad to have that back in a different well, form. Yeah, no, and you're totally right in that because I'm over seven years in business now and I will say I still miss that. That's probably the one biggest thing I don't enjoy about being self-employed. But I think the way to reframe it, like you mentioned, is you can get that level of relationship with the clients you have with the colleagues, whether they're writers like we are together, or like a website designer, a marketing person, you can rebuild those relationships. But it's it has to be a conscious choice. And mm. it's hard to sometimes put yourself out there, right, even with yeah. clients to build relationships and rapports. But you are right, if you look for that type of camaraderie, you can find it, you just have to go and find it. Yeah, absolutely. It's not built in anymore. And I certainly don't take it for granted anymore, because it does take that intentional effort, for sure. All right, let's get into the good stuff here. Let's talk about SEO. So share with me a little bit about how you explain SEO to the people that you work with, the brands and the clients that you work with. 
And sure. feel free to define some key terms as well. It's whenever I mention SEO, I swear my clients are like, that's yeah, scary. Okay. I don't Always. know. Yes, yes. <laughs> People are either really excited about SEO because they know about the possibilities, but mm. even those who are excited are always like a little bit of deer in headlights. You've given me too much information and mm -hmm. I don't know how to process this all, but I promise it's not that hard. I think the easiest way to get SEO is to look at it from a consumer standpoint. So let's just say, actually earlier today, I was reading a new author and I know that author wrote in some series of books. And I thought to myself, well, I don't really know anything about this person. So I typed in her name and I typed in book series. And the internet, in this case, Google, gave me a whole bunch of pages that I could click into and make the decision about how to learn more about that person, meaning I could see her book list on her website. I could read reviews from other people about what the books that she wrote. And then I, as the consumer, as the end user, got to choose. Okay, well, mm -hmm. this is the link I want to click because it's going to give me the exact information I need. There are a million other reasons I use the internet. I think it was like the statistic says that People might make 32 Google searches a day. I'm solidly over about 320 Google searches easily every day. But I ask the internet if I'm cooking, what can I use instead of using this ingredient? Or how many teaspoons are in one tablespoon, right? right. I ask it questions that my children ask me throughout the day that I do I know. not know the answers to. <laughs> so as an end user, as a consumer, we go to the internet to find answers. I also like to liken it to an encyclopedia of sorts that you can go to and get an answer for what you're seeking. But now if we want to look at SEO from the lens of a business, the truest thing that SEO does, SEO stands for search engine optimization. And what that means is any type of copy or content that you create for your business that exists on your website, you're making it better so that the internet can serve it to the people who are searching. So mm -hmm. like I mentioned about the author, on her website, she may have labeled the pages in specific ways or put the book names in specific ways so that her readers could better find her website. In the case of cooking, as an example, if it were a recipe blog, they're taking steps within every article that they write or on the pages they have on their site to use certain words and phrases that the end users, the consumers are searching for. So in its truest form, it's just making things better to give Google an upper hand to help the business find a larger or newer and a more strategic audience for the copy and the content that they're creating. Love I know you that. asked for some definitions here. Mm -hmm. So a few things that sometimes people will hear and not understand are is the word SERP, S-E-R-P. That just stands for your search engine results page. So literally, once you press enter on any type of question that you ask or key phrase that you enter into the little box in Google, the results that appear on your screen, that's the SERP. So as a business owner, our goal is to get our content as high as possible on that search engine page so that people click up into our copy and our content. Because we all know now it's pretty much revolving, right? So you can keep scrolling and scrolling. But back in the day, there used to be 10 results on each page. And I think we all know nobody makes it to page 10, 12, right? Like for results, right. with all of those options, you're going to find what you're looking for somewhere early. So the higher you can be, the closer you can be to the top of the page, the more likely people will find your business and either learn from you or hire you or enter your world so you can nurture them a bit. A few of the other things to consider when it comes to SEO in regard to definitions 
are things like keywords. Now, I will rally about this for days. Keywords are not single words. Keywords、mm-hmm. can also be phrases. Could they be a single word? Sure, but it is going to be incredibly hard to rank for a single word on the internet. So likely,、uh, you're often using a phrase of words when you are trying to optimize or make better the copy or the content that's on your website. And then there are a few other things that people will ask about, such as things like meta descriptions. I think we maybe we'll get a little bit more into that into the conversation. But when you're on that search engine results page, you'll often see there's a title of the page, so you know what that page is about. And then there's a very small description in regular text font underneath. That small description is usually the meta description of the page. It's basically giving the people who look at the internet a hint at what to expect. And if you want to win at SEO, the best advice I can give anyone when it comes to a DIY or even like a done for you, you're hiring it out. Even if you're not working with me, you're working with someone else. You want to make sure that whatever the page title is or that meta description is on that search engine result is clear that the intent of the client is going to be what they get served. So let's just say my example of how many teaspoons are in a tablespoon. If the title of that page is "teaspoon to tablespoon conversion," and then the meta description says something like "not sure how many teaspoons are in a tablespoon," you'll learn how when you click this blog. If they then come to a website page, like a blog page, that starts talking about the history of teaspoons and the history of tablespoons and the types of materials that they could be made out of, the person's going to be frustrated and they're going to leave. So you need to make sure that whatever you serve up. From that search engine page matches the intent of the search. That is the biggest mistake people make, and it is the biggest way to, I guess, make yourself look bad in Google's eyes.、Mm-hmm. So, whatever you put for that page title, whatever you put for the meta description, if you learn nothing more today, just know you want the searcher to say, "Here is my interest in looking at this page, and my interest has been made correct. You've served me what I want, and that's how you win in SEO." Yeah, I love that. I often liken SEO to making friends with Google. Yeah, yes, I think it's a friendship that、mm-hmm. takes nurture, and it can have bumps along the way, and that's a big bump, and you、yeah. don't want to have that happen. I think that a lot of the things that I work through with my clients is understanding that SEO is just a longer game, and I would love to hear your perspective about why it's a game worth playing. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It is absolutely a long-term game. In this, I would say this online business world, we're all taught very incorrectly to look for sh- short-term wins, and I think societally, I mentioned gold stars early. We want to see a result, and we want to congratulate ourselves on those results. However, if you would analyze any type of business over the past century, you'll see that gains and wins are usually after a long-term effort. Even your small town main street store. They don't open up and then become millionaires within three months of opening their tiny store on Main Street. However, maybe decades after being open and being a family-run store, they're so well known that there's no need to have a CVS or a Walgreens in the area, right? Because everyone loves this tiny pharmacy or convenience store because it's a long-term win. Now, I love that you liken SEO to becoming friends with Google because I always liken it to having Google be your wingman, right? Ooh, cool! Yeah, I personally was an excellent wingman in my college days, or wingwoman, I would say. Not so much the best at flirting myself, 
But here's where I have a super respect for the wingman. It's that they are able to hype you up and present you as the best option. Mm -hmm. Now, if you give your wingman enough information to do that credibly, to make them like you, friendship-wise, we're trying Mm -hmm. to tie our two things together here. Love it. If they like you and they want to hype you up, and serve you to the right people, they're going to do a great job at it. So you do want to make a Google your friend, and you do that by creating the best content that they can share. Really, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it is really that simple. So if you say, I mean, this is all metaphorically here, but if you say, here, Google, here is a blog post that I've worked really hard on. I am targeting this specific keyword. I'm doing it in a truly natural way. I'm not stuffing keywords. I'm really trying to teach people or to nurture people, to do some storytelling around this, share my expertise. Google's going to say, well, thanks. You just made my job so much easier. Now that I know you work so hard at this random business on the internet, I'm going to share this with my friends, the entire internet. And I'm going to make sure that you're one of the first things I share because it's you did such a good job. You really are being helpful and you really have shared your expertise because there's a a bajillion pieces of content out there in the world and it is their job to share it but think about the i know we're just talking about tech here and not a real human but maybe because i like to humanize google think about the amount of effort that it takes to sort through that Mm -hmm. and figure out what to share so if you are truly just putting in some slight effort you're going to get moving up the ranks quickly because you're making it easier for google And I derailed here because I know we're talking about long-term growth. But the beauty of this, if we can put aside our own personal ego and our own need for a short-term win, the beauty of SEO is that assuming that it's approached from like a not a time-specific or a new-specific need, if we're doing more evergreen content or even evergreen copy, it's going to serve you for that long run. So it's not Mm -hmm. just that it takes a long time to happen. It's that it also serves you for a very long time. In the job I told you about earlier, one of the reasons I think it really even convinced me with SEO is we had a lead come to us. They were not a client, but a lead came to us because a small blog post that they had written explaining a product that they had went truly viral two years after they had written it. It was not a good written blog post, but it explained something that just came up within social popularity two years later. And not only did they sell out of their product, but they sold out of their pre-sale for their second batch of product. And their business made a ton of money that changed their lives, like that the business owner's lives, so drastically that they were like, tell us how to do this again. Which, let me tell you, if anyone promises you anything with SEO, run, because there's no promises. I will literally say, and I am pretty much not someone who likes to boast and brag, but I am an SEO expert in my own right. No one can promise you anything. Yeah. But I always like to tell people, it's like a kid and studying for a test. Mm-hmm. If you didn't study and you really just tried to cram 30 minutes before you took the test, you can't really complain if you didn't win. But if you put the effort in and you actually did things the right way, you will be rewarded. While I can't promise you anything, if you do this the right way, you will absolutely get those long-term benefits in your business. I think that's so true. And honestly, I think that we as writers, but also we as business owners, really want to think about investing in what will last, right? And SEO is something that will last. And I love the flip that you gave about it will serve you too. It will will serve you and it will serve your audience. 
that's a really good shift. I love that. Thank you. So we work a lot here in the What Sarah Said side of the world with photographers, and I would love to hear some photography-specific types of tips and tricks that you have. So you bet. if someone is a photographer and they're looking to just DIY this SEO and get started, start the wheel moving, where's a good place for them to start? Yeah. Well, first thing I would like to say is you absolutely can DIY your SEO, especially in the beginning phases of your business. Don't let anyone tell you that either. I'm here to break all <laughs> these internet stereotypes. You absolutely can DIY SEO. The reason why I think businesses try to say that you cannot is there are so many intricacies with SEO. If you touch one thing, it affects 40 things. It's not necessarily easy for an SEO strategist to explain that, right? Mm -hmm. So I might be able to tell my client, well, you do this for this reason, but you might do the opposite for another reason. So that's why I think a lot of times SEO people will say, oh, no, just hire it out because there are so many intricacies. However, if you're going to DIY your SEO, there are so many things that you can do easily, I would say, to make mm -hmm. even a slight improvement. It might not completely change your business, but for photographers specifically... I will always recommend, unless you are truly a traveling photographer and you do like global work, target your local keywords. Yeah. So I live in Massachusetts, but I also live very close to the Rhode Island border. So if I were a photographer in this area, maybe I would say South Coast Massachusetts photographer, Providence photographer, Rhode mm -hmm. Island photographer, Massachusetts photographer. And you're not going to write that in every paragraph and section on your website but it could be as simple as updating your footer to have a few location-based words in there. Mm -hmm. So proudly serving the Providence, Fall River, New Bedford, Brockton areas or something to that effect. And your footer is most likely on every page of your website. So that location keywords will be there. But then with photography, I will say, I am so jealous of photographers' websites. Like, no matter what, <laughs> not that they're necessarily easy. I obviously understand everyone, especially if you're DIYing, you're hearing this and you're like, what? This is not easy. But from the, like, website person's standpoint, photographers have it so easy because you have the beautiful images, right? Yeah. And that does so much to convince people to work with you. But because we're looking at this from an SEO lens, the other thing besides location to think about is the niche of photography. So not is it just family photographer, it's newborn photographer, it's first birthday smash photography, it is maternity photography, mm -hmm. it is annual family photography, it is holiday photography. So I would say look at the niche that you have, and it's not just families that have this. Even weddings, you're looking at things like engagement photos. You're looking at things like, I wouldn't even know how to say this, but like the stylist photos that you do in the morning before mm. the wedding. Like that's just a, obviously a tiny part. As a photographer, you might think, well, that's just included in my like six hours that I do on the day of. But people are searching for things like, well, what images do I need? taken on my wedding day right. or it could be like cocktail hour photography like all of these little things it could be like trash the dress photography mm -hmm. are things people are absolutely searching for so if you can get a really good grasp on what your location keywords are and a really good grasp on what your industry keywords are and I wouldn't necessarily do all of them at once but right. find a, like a combination of some that will absolutely give you a huge jump in what's happening on your website right now without doing anything. 
when I work with clients, I call that a positioning statement. It positions you where you're located geographically, but also where you're at in your industry. And I think that's a really important piece industry-wise because I know, yeah. for instance, my business evolves, right? I initially started totally. out serving primarily real estate agents and I yeah. don't serve them necessarily anymore. And so that was an update I had to make in my own sure. positioning. And so recognizing that you can give yourself permission to evolve, you can give your business permission to evolve, and then allowing that positioning statement to evolve, that was a real big gift yeah. that my business coach gave to me. She's like, well, just change. Just It, is it doesn't have to be simple. complicated. No. Yeah. And then I'm going to rewind a, a tiny bit before what you said is one block that almost everyone has that whether they're working on me for me to do it for them or like collaboratively on these kind of things is people don't want a niche because of the fear of niching. Mm -hmm. I get it. In my own business, it's even something I'm struggling with now, fully seven years in business for myself. But there's two approaches to this. You can say that you do everything on your website, especially when the everything that you do is within a bucket, like photography. You can say you are a wedding and family photographer. You are a brand and family photographer, right? Like you could say you're a baby and a business headshot photographer. Whatever. That's right. cool. You can do that. And in doing that, my best advice for you is use those keywords heavily. So mm -hmm. instead of just Rhode Island photographer, it is a business headshot photographer in Rhode Island, right? Yeah. So you're really relying on the type of work that you do or it's go all in. Because if you go all in for like infant photography and then one day you decide, I hate babies. Like, all <laughs> they do is cry it. and poop, right? I'm done. I don't want to deal with another baby. I'm only taking pictures of people for their, like, their personal brand, their businesses. Then... Google still knows you as a photographer. So they might be like, wait a second, you don't want to hang out with babies anymore? Oh, okay, you want to hang out with big kids. That's like Google still sees the photography. So it's not that scary when you're staying in the same industry. Like, and it's not that hard to re-rank because it all is under the category that Google is like categorizing us. However, if I decide that I'm going to start being like a, a bread blog, Baker on ErinOlilla.com, Google's going to be like, sourdough, what? I thought you were talking about like words and SEO. Like what the heck is the sourdough part coming into this conversation? And it will be a stalling point, like a full industry change is a stalling point. But there, it's also not overcomable because if you truly change industry, you are going to create new copy and new content for that industry and you will maybe hold on pieces to your old stuff, but likely get rid of it. So it's just like taking Google, your friend, your wingman, and being like, listen, dude, I know you used to introduce me to these type of people, but I really have want to be introduced to those type. So it's not insurmountable. And I think that quite often we're all taught these SEO rules, and at least as a rule follower myself, I get that like people think if it's a rule, it is a rule. But it's not so, like, it's not anything that can't be changed, can't be overcome. Right. If anything, Google just has, I think, when I checked in the pandemic-ish days, because I had known the data pre-pandemic. So during the pandemic time, I wanted to see, like, how is SEO evolving? Mm. And I think in 2019 to 21, let's say, Google had 600 algorithm updates a year. 
That's more. Well, that's about two a day. Okay, mm-hmm. so if Google can change its algorithm two times a day, then we can change anything that we need and move through that and still see success. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are rules, there are best practices, but as long as you're trying, as you're working toward it in a best practice manner, you can make any adjustments that you need with your SEO. I think that's so true, and it's freeing to mm-hmm. realize that that you are free to evolve, your business is free to evolve, and that you aren't quote unquote, breaking any rules no. when that happens. It's natural and it's normal. It is, totally. I love that. So if a photographer would reach out to you and say, look, this whole thing overwhelms me, can you just handle it? Sure. Where would you start beyond the location piece and beyond the industry pieces? Where would you start with them? And it's going to sound something that you might not expect, but I would do the research first. Because what I just said to you, the idea of using your local area, the idea of using your keywords, that's the best advice I can give on a podcast. But it is a yeah. guess. And I think that's what people need to remember. I just worked with a client who had worked with an SEO person before and was really upset because they spent a ton of money on these mostly location-based things, but what they weren't told is no one was searching for that. Some clients, some industries, and I'll tell you photographers, don't worry too much, people are totally searching for location-based photographers, so you've got that there. But this particular client, like, the idea of location was really throwing their actual efforts off, and they could have been better surfed if they had rewound and instead of guessing did a lot of research based on their, one, their assumptions, things like industry and location, and two, based on any market research that they might have for their own business. An example is an interior designer I worked with at one time, she kept using the word remodel, and Mm -hmm. she wanted to use that within her copy, but what we found out was in her local area specifically, people were searching for renovation. So Mm -hmm. those words are synonyms, but again, based on the target location, no one was searching for a remodel. It just wasn't maybe the, their vernacular, right? Yeah. So before doing anything, I would really truly do as much research as I could so that we weren't guessing because no true strategy is based on a guess. And then, you know, you said this already, but I would do some basics like the website pages. And one thing I love to say to everyone is while we say things take a long time, one thing I really want people to understand is your pages are not going to be the best SEO bang for your buck. They are vital to have some type of keyword. That's really where location keywords work really well. But I like to tell people, if you think of SEO as how many doors that you have for people to enter your business, if you have, let's say, a three-page website, then that's three doors that they can come in. They have to come in and exit those same doors. Now, if you also have a blog that is attached to your business and it has good information, maybe you have just 12 posts a year or maybe you have 36 But those now have given you 36 more entrances that people can come into your world for things that they're actively looking for solutions for, or not even solutions, but things they're excited about. So the more content you have, the better opportunity you have to rank. And after the research, after the quick and dirty location-based things, I always try to tell people to think of things that don't seem... SEO obvious example could be case studies. In the photography world, instead of case studies, I would like to say like portfolio. So if your clients are allowing you to showcase their like wedding or their family photography or their brand photography, and you can build a story out of it, that is going to be the best SEO bang for your buck because 
the people who want to read that and who are looking at your portfolio have already acknowledged that you are a potential person that they can work with. Right. And then you're telling them how you provided exactly what they want to someone else and they can see it. It's kind of like, you know, I can see it, I can taste it, I can feel it. It's a real mm-hmm. thing. With a case <laughs> study for, or obviously a portfolio here, that's it. Like the people are, they've already acknowledged you as a potential person they can give their money to. And now you're just convincing them that you are the right person to right. give their money to. So not only have you made the decision easier, but they're coming into your now like working relationship with confidence and excitement, which is only going to improve your customer experience and make them be like thrilled to work with you. I would say, I know I'm taking a long time to answer these questions today, <laughs> but I would say beyond the basic stuff, I would look for those opportunities like that, like things that can really wow people, things that can help with conversion that's not just so obvious like a sales page or a services page, but something where I can showcase to them maybe social proof or an educational piece. If your clients are asking the same things, like how to prep for their engagement photos, while anyone on the internet can find this. And that's okay. They might not hire you because if you're working in Alaska and these people are in Singapore, it just might not be like, okay, well, it's a big jump for me to come take your photos. But for those local people to you that they do read this and that you have now prepared, if you're going to compare you as a photographer against another photographer who has no educational information, they're sold from you because you've just held their hand through something that they really needed help with. Right. I often tell my photography clients, you should write something about what to wear for family photos. I can't tell you how many times I've taken family photos in the 11 so years I've been a mom. Yeah. But every year I'm like, what do I wear? How do I search Every this? single like, year. Yeah. I'm and like, I can guys. tell you, I have hired someone locally because they actually had that piece for the like fourth year that I did it. You think I'd know by that point. But I stumbled upon someone local's blog about actually being strategic. Like, it doesn't have to be the exact same color. It doesn't have to yeah. be the exact same print. And I was like, done, done. Take my money. Take I don't care money. what you'd cost. If you can make this seem simple to me when it's something that's always not worked for my brain, I'm not the most stylish person. Yeah. Now, I'm like, if you're going to do the, bring up this confidence in me that I know how to dress for these, I know I'm going to feel more comfortable because my clothing makes me feel comfortable. Not I'm trying to be someone that I'm not. So the pictures are going to come out better because of that. So yes, SEO can attract those people to you. Absolutely. I love that. I think that's something I think about a lot is what kind of content can you create that sure, maybe somebody, you know, three states over has also created, but your unique appeal, your unique location, your unique spin on it can really bring those people right to you. Yeah. I always say like earlier, I mentioned I'm jealous of photographers website, but the one trouble that photographers have is they have a high level of competition locally Mm -hmm. so you know it might be that like let's say a wedding photographer for example when I searched for wedding photography I searched for people who are local and I wanted to know like what the package looked like Mm -hmm. and obviously I could make a very quick decision on whether I like their photography just from seeing the images on their website but if I'm only comparing like X amount of dollars to X amount of hours that I'm truly just comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. So if you can do the slightest thing to set Mm -hmm. yourself apart from someone, here is an example that's copy and SEO at the same time. Let's say you've done a really good job attracting them to your website sales page that has all your offers and explains it. And maybe there are some links of downloadable things on that page, like a 
how to know who's the right photographer for you guide or how to dress for your engagement photos or how to prepare a list of images for your wedding day. If it's on that page that shows how much you know your packages are, shows them their options, and it's just something that's not going to distract them, meaning they're not leaving that page, they can just download it to the download folder and check it out later. When they compare you to the four other people in your local area that have very similar prices, very similar offers, and zero content, because you photographers don't like words, like let's just be honest with each other, you like your pictures, and you don't have enough words at all, you won. You t- they don't even need to look at the other four because you have so similar offers. But the fact that you went above and beyond, you're selling yourself there majorly. Yeah, I love that. I think any sort of inkling that you have to set yourself apart is something you should listen to, right? Whether it's creating a downloadable checklist, which like you said, not many words, but can yeah. really pack in that value. That's sure. huge. Do you ever wish you actually had a copywriter on call? That's what's possible when you book a VIP day with me. From a website copy polish or a custom long form sales page to an email welcome sequence or launch sequence, I'll flex my done for you muscles and take on your top priority to do's in a half day or a full day VIP experience. Whether you've got one project or a full slate of copy related tasks, I'll work behind the scenes to craft word magic that feels authentic to you and your brand. By the end of the day, you'll have your project in hand or implemented live on your website or email list. If this sounds like exactly what you need, head on over to whatsarahsaid.com slash VIP to learn more. The other major question I get from my photography clients is how do I name my images on my website? I'm so glad you asked that, yeah. And honestly, it's a little bit of a mindset shift, I think, to think about, because as a photographer, you're like, well, I know when I took this, I know who's in this picture. How do I distinguish it for me, but also make it searchable and make it good for Google as well? So the easiest must-have thing that you should do is to always use hyphens in between the words. Because if you have something that just says Providence, Rhode Island, wedding at the Biltmore with no hyphens, Google looks at those like combination of letters and they're like, what's this jibber jabber? What? No, thank you. (laughs) Remember, we have to humanize Google a little to be like, dude, you have a really hard job, really hard job. So if we make it easier and we as annoying as it is, but you just get used to it, I think, when you do it. Mm-hmm. And think of photographers. I mean, let's come on. You have all these renaming systems that can name all of your photos super quickly. Mm-hmm. So no complaining there. You fix the hyphens once. But if you change it to Providence hyphen, road hyphen, island hyphen, then Google sees it and they're like, okay, this is for Providence, Rhode Island. The Biltmore? Oh, done. Sweet. Okay, that's where this location's about. However, back in the day, it was very widely advised to use keywords within your images. I will not say that's necessarily a bad idea because you need to attract people. You want them to find your stuff. So if they're already searching for it, however, especially with this new intro of AI search, I wouldn't say Google's getting smarter, but I would say they're getting stricter. And the idea of especially longer phrases stuffed in every image seems spammy to them so that I don't confuse you. What you want to do is you want to have a relevant keyword like naming system and you want to keep it short. 
So, for example, if the image is of a baby in a pumpkin, Mm-hmm. Sorry, photographers. This is how creative I am. This is why I hire <laughs> you guys. But if it is a baby in a pumpkin for a holiday first birthday shoot or something like that, you'd probably name it like baby in a pumpkin or something to that effect. If there's a slew of similar images, you can keep it easy and be like one, two, three for the naming convention. You could definitely use a location keyword or a venue. Venue is very good for keywords like for that wedding. Biltmore Hotel Providence Wedding. That could be your naming convention. It's not too long, but don't try to force a keyword in a naming convention if you don't have to. What Google cares most about is that the image, like the relevance part, is in there. So if it's not saying first birthday photography and it's a baby in a pumpkin, because like, how does Google know that? So I know that's more vague, I think, than anyone listening is hoping for. Sometimes with SEO, like I know even myself, it's like, can't you just make this easier? What the heck? (laughs) If it's a keyword, can I just put the keyword where it goes? But unfortunately, what's happened in the past is too much junk content has been created. And now, especially with AI, massive amount of junk content is being created. So it's not just that you're trying to do it the right way. It's you're competing against all these people doing it the wrong way. Mm. So when in doubt, think of your naming conventions as how can I showcase what's in the image and possibly do a keyword, but care more about that relevance and that short factor than you care about the actual keyword in the images. I often remind my clients to think about their kids too. I work with a lot of mamas. And what would you tell your kid this picture is of? And baby in a pumpkin, that fits, right? Your child will know what that is without even seeing the picture. And so as a first gut response, go there. What will you tell your child is in this picture? And then let's take it up a notch, right? Thinking a little bit more intentionally about what Google might like to see and what keywords you might be able to utilize, especially if it's location-based, like you said. Yeah, and I mentioned the easy way out is doing it like baby in a pumpkin one, baby in a pumpkin two. But if you have that bandwidth, you could just have a few select titles, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like you don't have to have them all. Not No one wants to retitle every single image in a portfolio. That would take a lot of time. But maybe you create five different titling methods. So it's baby in a pumpkin is one, and another one is like pumpkin first birthday photography. Mm -hmm. Or you can mix it up. That's actually better for you. Obviously, it takes a little bit more time. But if you're just doing them in tiny batches and then, you know, you're doing the one, two, threes and all that, it's still better for your business. So don't overthink it and don't stuff it. But to talk about pictures for a second, I know we've been talking for a while, but this is really important for photographers. The size of your image will Mm. drastically make a difference on how Google ranks you. Obviously, we know the better resolution is the higher weighted images, right? And the higher sized images. But you want to have, obviously, as best resolution as you can, but the smallest images as possible. Because the heavier the site, the longer it takes to load. And now, 2023, especially, and obviously 2024, but at this moment, Google cares a lot about page speed. They really do not want to take a lot of time waiting on your site. It's kind of like having them as that friend or that wingman again. If they're waiting at your house to go out for a night of like drinking and debauchery, they do not want to sit there forever. They're going to be like, whatever, find your own ride. See you later. (laughs) So really, truly want to have smaller images with a lower weight on your site. 
And if you want to help yourself with this keyword, even though I just said don't focus on it so much for the titling, you do have the alt text. Now, Mm -hmm. I am a firm lecturer on the alt text is not for SEO. The Mm -hmm. alt text is for accessibility so that people can understand what your images are if they have to use a screen reader. Does that mean you can't use it in an SEO effort? Of course you can if you're doing it the right way. So as an example of the baby in a pumpkin, when it came to the alt text, it's not a title. So you have more room to write a description. And you could write, this image is of a baby inside of a pumpkin to celebrate their first birthday photography. Now, depending on what the keyword is, maybe it's, let's just say again, Massachusetts first birthday photography or something. You could say that, right? If that's going to help SEO-wise, go for it. Because the person using the screen reader is just going to, they want to know what's in the picture. So if you add a location in there, no biggie. It's not hurting them. However, if you only titled it like Massachusetts baby photography, then what you're really doing is you're not being, you're being anti-accessible. I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. ableist maybe, because it is not for you to benefit your business to use the alt text. But if you can do it in a way that serves people who use the alt text and still do it for SEO, more power to you, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. I love that you brought up image size. I think that's huge. And honestly, with alt text even being available to put in on Instagram, like it is important to think about accessibility. And I think you're right. If you can optimize it, great, but that's not the purpose. And being intentional about the way that you utilize each piece that you're able to when it comes to naming conventions of images, but also that alt text is really important. Yeah, I just did an episode on my podcast with Erin Perkins from Mabley, and she had quoted, I don't remember the exact amount, so I would, I'd butcher it if I tried, but she quoted the average consumer spend for people in the disability community. And it's like the point of the conversation was, Let's just say it was like $49 billion a year. Do you not want some of that money? You know what I mean? They're <laughs> yeah. your neighbors. They're your friends. They're just like you. So mm-hmm. if you are doing the best effort to make sure that you are making, especially photography, because it's all image-based, right. making your images accessible to the consumers in your area that may have different hearing experiences or sight experiences than you, and you're doing that, they're going to be appreciative because she was saying she can't tell you how many times she goes to a service-based provider's website. And if she can't read it, well, why the heck would she even try to figure out what it was so that she could give them money? It's not her responsibility to do that. So if that's the case and your local competitors are not doing things to make their websites more accessible and you're bringing a larger group of consumers into your business and you're being a better human. So definitely, like I always tell people, It's so easy to forget your meta descriptions and to forget your alt text and even your naming conventions because it's, oh, I have to write another blog. Oh, I have to do another. Oh, my gosh. What is the word? Like when you're trying to capture like the images of talk about the venue or the wedding specifically, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Here I have to showcase this client. I just wrote all of these things. I just edited all of these images. Like I'm not making fun of you. I do this myself in my business where it's like I write my show notes and I'm like, "Eh, that's okay. I'll do my alt text tomorrow. No, don't do that. Don't do that, my friends. Like this is, it's like if you want to give Google a piece of gold or a penny, like a penny is not optimizing these things, but you better believe you're going to turn their head if you're like, would you like this piece of gold, Google? Anyone offers me gold, I'd be like, okay, that's exciting. I didn't expect that today. So 
if you do the extra effort, and yes, it is effort, but if you、mm-hmm. do that extra effort, you're totally going to get the benefit yourself. We started this conversation with a like it takes a long time thing,、mm-hmm. and I think again we're all so conditioned to want immediate results, and we want to take the less less effort that we can take to get those results. But if we do recognize, sometimes the more effort brings the longer lasting result.、Mm. It's as simple as okay, sure, I'll write the one hundred and fifty character meta description, which is like a sentence. Yep. Sure, I'll write a less than a sentence alt text. That will. A hundred percent serve you way more than doing tiny like social media updates or、mm-hmm. tiny little things in your business that you only get that little gold star quickly for. And social media is good. And I'm not picking on anyone in social, but my point is SEO is better. So love it. I <laughs> draw、totally、the line、agree. in the sand. I love it. I love it. I think that's so key. It's really important to spend your time where it's going to really benefit you、mm-hmm. and your business. And that's frankly just. It's on SEO. It's on your website. So I love that. I would love to speak a little bit more about results and think about your clients and what getting results from SEO work looks like for them. Tell me some wins. No, I'm so glad you said this. So it's tough to get wins immediately on SEO.、Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's a long time effort. I think the story I told early is a really good one. And the idea of here's this throwaway blog that company did, just literally typing up why they made their product, what the product does, who would benefit from the product, and then not seeing any results until it made their business like a crap ton of money. But for my clients in specific, I think that the best results that they have. I could give you flashy numbers here. I tend to be an anti-flashy numbers person because I think, again, it's so individually based.、Mm-hmm. But I think the best results they've had are a few things, very particularly. One, easier to convert clients because、mm-hmm. they've done all the hard work, and the clients, like I said, they feel comfortable to work with them. I always have my clients come back to me and be like, "You'll never believe this. I haven't done sales calls in whatever, right? A certain period of time, like." People are just signing my contracts. Is this normal? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, maybe, right? But it's that excitement that they're working with these people who are confident to work with them. They don't have to prove themselves anymore. The other thing that I think is, for me personally, I would like this the best is that they have better clients. So、mm. because those clients are already prepped and already feel a level of confidence. They're working with people they like to work with,、mm-hmm. so they enjoy that aspect of doing the work more because they have better, more qualified clients. Because the people who found them through search were targeted, were looking for them in their business. So I guess I like those wins better. I mean, there are some big ones of like one of my clients is、um, Hill Science Diet, and I searched this recently, and I think like one of the articles I had written was found seventy thousand times a month. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, well that's a pretty big win, one, right? Imagine, <laughs> and like, granted, they're a big brand; they don't need my help. But the point is, imagine like seventy thousand people came to your website because they were looking for the answer that technically your product could have given them. So it was this article had something to do with can my dog eat whatever right like、oh, carrots、sure. or whatever.、Yeah. Now, granted, Hill's Science Diet—they're not selling carrots on their website—but <laughs> you're a consumer who cares a lot about your animal, and you want to make sure that they have nutritious food. Well, Hill's Science Diet sells nutritious food, so the amount of eyes that you have for some of my clients—it's literally—and this sounds every time I say this, people are like, well, that doesn't sound impressive. Sometimes it's ten more visits a month. Mm-hmm. That does 
everything for their business. Now, with photographers, you're a service-based business. Unless you're doing, like, headshots, like, at a mall where you can zoom people in and out in front of you and serve those 1,000 people in a day, you can't serve 70,000 people. But imagine 10 more people come to your website, even if just one of them booked a Mm -hmm. large package, that could be business changing. So regarding client wins, I think the best wins, maybe my personal perspective, are the ones that feel really good to them or feel Mm -hmm. exciting, that they've made these changes that have presented them better in their business, more so than the amount of clicks that they've had. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's bigger than the numbers, right? And I think the numbers can, like you said, be really subjective. But I would love to talk to you a little bit about what kind of results you've seen. How does SEO work for you personally in your business? And how has SEO helped you to just feel more confident in showing up as you are, as yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I can look at this two different ways. I say I've been in business for over seven years now, but A good majority of that time, I've fallen under the cobbler's kids have no shoes syndrome of just not working on my own business. And I can say that because I am a super transparent person and I care about being honest about these things. But what I also know is at some point when I decided that that had to change and I was like, oh, my gosh, Erin, you're embarrassing yourself. You write websites and your website's not what you would ever want it to be. At some point, once I made that change... What I loved about having the background in SEO and knowing how to do things is I wasn't afraid to take bigger risks than I might have even suggested. Go for keywords that are harder to rank. And then again, I like gold stars. So seeing my efforts pay off over time was like, oh, cool. Mm -hmm. And if anything, encouraged me to do a little bit more strategic campaign-like things. Now, why this is so exciting for me is not even necessarily the SEO benefit I get as a human, but because I learn new things that I didn't know from my clients. That I, Like right now, I'm currently obsessed with frequently asked question pages mm-hmm. or sections because you can write as much as you'd like in that nested comment. And Google reads every word, but it doesn't mess up your page. Like it's not blocks of text that are just like people have to like zoom over. If they're interested in the question and they want to read the answer, that's a huge SEO benefit. So I feel like how it's benefited me is that I've been able to play more and learn more and reap the benefits, not just for myself, but for other people. And with Hills, sometimes I go out and like my kids' soccer games or dance or friends on the internet that I, I don't know in real life. And they'll be like, I was searching for leptospirosis and dogs. And then I got to the bottom of the article. I think the funniest one was when my own father was like, I I read this really good article on that, and then I got to the bottom, and your face was on it. (laughs) It's It's because I've written about dogs for a really long time, Dan. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that so much. That's a great story. Oh, well, thank you so, so much for being here. I am super excited to share that Erin has a checklist for us. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It's a really simple guide that I think I like to point out that it's simple because it will... It won't feel so overwhelming. Everything Mm -hmm. about SEO just feels overwhelming when you're getting used to it. So what it does is it's truly a checklist. So that way when you write any page or any post on your site, you can look at it and be like, did I do this? Okay. Did I do that? Okay. And just work through the checklist so you're not forgetting things like your alt text or titling your images. Yes, I know photographers do think of naming conventions, but with the amount of images you have, sometimes it's so easy to overlook that when you're uploading. So just a checklist that you can print out, put on the side of your computer in a little tiny 
thing, or you can use it as an actual checkbox on the internet thing to get you making sure you're doing all those little tiny best practices. I love that. And I'm going to have that link for you guys in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. This was such a fun conversation. Thank you for having me. I mean, I talked a lot. I'm a little sorry for that, but everything is just so important. And I just, I really want to make sure that if you're thinking about doing it yourself, even if it's like a trial before you hire someone else, you can put in the effort and just trust in the process. I love that. As always, thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, this is your copywriter on call signing off. Thanks for listening to the Copywriter On Call podcast. If this episode has you feeling all sorts of inspired to show up as yourself online, click that subscribe button so you don't miss my stories or practical advice to help you express your quirky, vulnerable, and authentic self online. Chat soon.